Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN, joined as always by my guy, John Stargarin. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 40, headlined uh, by Aspen Ladd and Norman Dumont. See, my mouth didn't even want to say it. Like, my, it, it couldn't even come out, John. What are we doing this week? What the hell is going on? Bro, I don't know what's happening here. Um, but I will say this. It's a very low-level card with a very low-level main event. But one of the nice things about low-level cards is that they're often quite mispriced. And so I think it's a decent card for betting, to be honest. Much better than the last couple of weeks, at least in my opinion, until I lose a bunch of money on it. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen. But I like it. They, these are the cards where we really want to go dog hunting, and we are very privileged to always be joined by my guy, John, who's probably one of the better dog hunters that we have in this capping space as well. Um, with that said, I do quickly want to go over our best bets from the last week, so it's something that I want to do. I, I don't recall them off the top of my head, but I did quickly uh, just jot down what the record of them were. Uh, I went 0-2-1, the one being the push on the Duran win and Phil Haas fight, which obviously did not end up happening. John went 1-2. and two. I believe his one win was the uh, fight goes to decision for Charles Rosa and Damon Jackson. So that one hits. And Cody goes 3-0. I think he cashed on Brown inside the distance. The same fight goes to decision for you. And the fight goes to decision as well for the Gutierrez and Clarge fight. So uh, Cody killed it last week on the props. And unfortunately, since we have an early start this week, um, I was not able to get his props. So you guys are shit out of luck there. Obviously, most of you already follow him on Twitter. So you guys are going to be able to get it then. Uh, special start time this week. Because my man John is off to a vacation tomorrow. You you Will you please share where you're going or what you're, what you're doing over the next couple of days? Yeah, a couple of my friends are moving to Florida. So my wife and I haven't had a vacation without our son since he was born two years ago. So we just figured we'd tag along kind of at the last minute. And so... Just going to go down there, hang out, enjoy the last of the warm weather for a couple days, drink a little too much, eat a little too much. But, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, yeah. How long are you out there for? Just till Saturday morning. So I'll be back right in time for the fights, hopefully. Oh, Ready to yeah. crash in bed and just watch the fights that night. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. I look forward to that, uh, to watch them. I do have some friends coming over. I have uh, college friends coming over this weekend. So I'm not sure if I'll be able to watch it live. Maybe I'll watch it in the background. It's one of those cards. By so the way, I saw you tweeted that the uh, VIP in Vegas was only $500. For no, so, so sorry. That might have been mis mistweeted uh they just sell them as regular tickets if they're not able to get rid of the vip packages got it, got so it, got you it. pay 500 bucks just to go watch the fights you don't get the all-inclusive drinks souvenir fucking all-inclusive food i don't think you get any of that you i think do you just that before it ends this yeah I, i'm actually eyeing uh uh the aldo and font card that's the one that i'm probably going to hit let's up let's talk offline yeah, well, we'll figure this out. I, I think Luke already slid in my DMs about this as well. So we'll see. Maybe we can plan something to go out there. But uh, yeah, you guys are here for UFC Vegas 40. So let's just get right back on track here. In terms of the fights, we got about 11 fights scheduled. Hopefully nothing falls out in terms of the wins. That's been led. But we'll see what happens once these people actually step on the scale on Friday morning. But first and foremost, we're going to be talking about Ariane Carnalosi going up against Estela Nunez in terms of odds. We're looking at minus 155 for Carnalosi, plus 135 for Nunez. Now, Nunez is one of those few Brazilian fighters that every so often comes into the UFC and pops for USADA before they even get into the cage for the first time. If I'm not mistaken, Carlos Felipe is one of those guys as well. But regardless, Estela Nunez was scheduled to fight uh, Angela Hill back in 2019. She pops for steroids and she's put on the shelf for two years. And it seems like since then, 
you know, she was training at American Top Team, but since then, it seems like she's mainly been training out of her hometown gym over there in Brazil. So I don't really think she's been spending any time at American Top Team. Now, in terms of breaking this fight down, both girls, obviously, strikers, Muay Thai, multiple Muay Thai world champion is Estela Nunes. And then on the flip side with Ariane Carnelosi, you know, the, the female John Lineker, can we just call her that at this point in time? She likes to move forward. She likes to throw big bombs. There's no, you know, method to her madness, really. It's just move forward, try to take your head off. So it's pretty much, a, in my opinion, it's going to be one of those fights where you have Nunes on the outside doing her thing and uh, Carnelosi continuously trying to close that distance and land the better strike. So for me, it's a bit of a toss-up fight, but I'm not willing to lay the plus 135 on Nunes at this time considering all the question marks that we have, right? What is she going to look like off the juice? What is she going to look like facing legitimate competition? Not to say one championship wasn't a bad way for her to come up. Obviously, she fought Angela Lee over there, came up short in that fight. If I'm not mistaken, that's the only blemish on her record. But I do like Carnelosi in the spot in terms of being able to move forward and implement her type of style. But... Again, we don't know what we're getting with Nunes, and that's why I want to have this as a stay-away fight, if anything. I do like uh, the Carnelosi decision. I do think that Nunes will be able to eat some shots here, and we'll see this go fill 15 minutes. So I like Carnelosi by decision at plus 165. How are you seeing this matchup, brother? Yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the Stella Nunes layoff really complicates things. Especially, like, if she was 33 or like 34, I'd feel a bit better about, you know, backing Carnelosi here because, you know, there's less questions. But 26 to 29, like that's right about where you'd expect a fighter to start making some really, really big leaps. But, you know, even with that said, you know, I see money coming in on Nunez, and I don't – it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Like whatever you think of Carnelosi, yeah, I call her the female John Lineker or whatever. It's also kind of funny that it's Nunez is the one who had the USADA violation here, right? <laughs> It's, it's too funny. It is uh, too funny. But like, you know, Carnelosi lost to Angela Hill, but that was a very, very competitive striking fight. And like Angela Hill is a legit top 15 girl at 115. And so it's like I have footage of Carnelosi competing at a high level at 115 with her and then ripping through Nali Yang in her first fight. Like it got sweaty and she got put in some deep subs, but she seemed reasonably responsible on top. And then, you know, so it's like I have that, and then I have Nunez in, you know, 1FC, which I don't even know what to take from that. It's like, yeah, Angela Lee is good for 1FC. I'm not really convinced Angela Lee would come over and be, like, wrecking people in the UFC, to be completely honest with you. And so in my head, I'm just like, I know Nunez can hang with top 10 girls in the UFC. Or not Nunez, Carnelosi. I don't know that about Nunez. Uh, I know Carnelosi has a style that's going to be – go forward throw a ton of output you know she tried to take uh, angela hill down and what i will say is i don't know if she'll try to take nunez down but i think she should because what i've seen of nunez on her back hasn't been very promising but again i, I can't be too passionate about it just because it's a big layoff uh carnelosi's there to be hit I, I also like carnelosi by decision you know if this money line gets down to the minus 125 range i might have some interest in her there but yeah there's a lot of question marks i'm not really trying to put my money there yeah, this kind of seems like a sit back and take notes kind of fight for us to see how yeah. we're going to attack these women in the future. And I feel as though there's a couple fights on this card that we have to take that bit of approach. So, uh, yeah, I'm on the Carlosi side via decision. Is that kind of where you ended up as well? Yeah. Or you yeah, think you, you finished? Exactly. Well, what what are, what are the chances you lay for of uh, actually finishing? Uh, Who the Carlosi? Yeah, Carlosi finishing Nunes. <sighs> 15 percent 20 percent it's hard it's, it's hard to say right like you know yeah. it's it, it, because i know nothing really about Nunez's <laughs> durability um you know so it's like i i have a 
I do think Carnalosi hits hard. I, I just more think, you know, at a women's 115 fight, I'm willing to skew towards the decision, you know, just in general. Absolutely. Uh, Carnalosa will always have a special part of my heart because of that fight she had with Nali Young, the first ever fight in front of a live crowd after the COVID era. The crowd was going nuts and they brought it. Absolutely inc- crazy fight. So, And then the, the the crowd and the energy that they were providing as well was just a, a crazy experience. I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about that fucking fight. All right, let's move on to the next right here. We got the return of Killer B, Brandon Davis, going up against Tanah Batkaril. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus... Uh, 170 for Bacadil and plus 150 now for Brandon Davis. He was just plus 160 the other day. It seems like the public is starting to come in on Brandon Davis a little bit here. And uh, if there's anybody going to be on Brandon Davis, it's more than likely my guy John here. But I like Brandon Davis too. I was kind of talking about it on uh, Clint's podcast last night that I did. Uh, I like his veteran ability to come in there and give a guy like Denab Bacadil some issues. Now Bacadil, minus 130 favorite against Guido Canetti two fights ago. And he goes out there and starts him. Starts as Kevin Natividad, and now he's a minor. Well, was close to a minus two hundred favorite now against a tough veteran in uh, Brandon Davis, who's never been knocked out. The guy has obviously been subbed in the past, but he's never been knocked out. And I'd be surprised if Batgirl is going to be the one to change that here. Batgirl throws good combinations. Seems like he has a great Muay Thai background, but I think his overall MMA game is still a little bit lacking. If there's anybody that's going to bring that out of him, it's going to be a guy like Brandon Davis who will mix in takedowns if he needs to and will be competitive in the striking realm as well, which will make it a closer fight than the odds actually indicate. But I think that ace in the uh, in his back pocket is that takedown. And I do believe he will be successful in at least maybe one, two, or three of them to at least you know sway the judges his way. He could possibly lock up a submission as well because I do think that he has a pretty nasty su- submission game as well. And unfortunately, we don't have odds for that yet. I do want to see what that specific prop would be. But Davis inside the distance is currently sitting at plus 365. Um, I got to believe that the... I, I don't even know where the sub, sub line would, would line <laughs> up. But if you give me like plus 800, plus 900, I might take a little bit of a stab on that considering that I do think he has a tremendous advantage on the ground. Bat Grill, one of the few guys that is still remaining over there at Jackson Wink, representing that Jackson Wink flag. Um, you know, the level of uh, training partners there has very much diminished over the last several weeks. And me and you, John, talked about it last week with Steve yeah. Garcia as well. But Garcia, luckily for him, he was fighting a guy in Charlie Antivers, who even with having Steve <laughs> Garcia knocked out, could not finish this guy. So uh, I-, I like Davis here. Uh, I do think there's a decent chance that he can finish inside the distance, but I do. I, my ultimate um, uh, prediction is going to be him to win by decision, which is plus 275. But give me plus 800 or better on his sub prop, and I might take a little bit of a sprinkle here. How do you feel about this matchup, brother? Yeah, I think this is pretty mispriced, to be honest with you. It's kind of actually funny if you go back and look at Brandon Davis's uh, UFC run, his first UFC run. It's actually hilarious. You know, he went two and five. Uh, first loss was to Kyle Bachneck in a weird fight where Bachneck attempted like 16 takedowns. And it was just kind of a grimy fight, which, you know, that doesn't look good. But then you look at the other guys he lost to, you know, Enrique Barzola, who was probably a top 20, 25 guy at 45. Zabit Magomed Cherepov in a fight that, you know, he gave an honest account of himself in that fight, you know, as well. You know, Zabit subbed him and just outclassed him. But <clears throat> they were competitive standing in that fight. And then, you know, loses a split decision to Kang Hyo Kang. And then his last fight, he fights Giga Chikaz and goes to a split with him as well. And, you know, even in that fight, you know, he was starting to, in the second half of that fight, kind of come on, even on the feet with Giga there. And so it's like, you know, I get it. You know, Davis isn't the best guy in the world, but it's not like he's unskilled. You know, he's a decent wrestler when he goes forward. You know, he's a competent striker. We saw him beat Randy Costa. What we can say about Davis, given the fights with Costa and Chikaz, is the guy has got a fucking chin on him, man. Like, you know, he's never been fin- he's never been KO'd. And then on the other side, you have Dinabakura and... You know, I get 
the temptation by Denai in that he's got two straight first round KOs. But the one fight where we have a lot of relevant data is Haile Alatang. And in that fight, he had a competitive kickboxing match with him. Haile Alatang is not a great kickboxer. You know, he got hurt on the feet there. Alatang touched him pretty much every time he let his hands go. But the really, really concerning aspect of that fight to me is what happened in round three when he got put on the ground. I did not like at all what I saw from Baccarat on his back there. You know, basically he was either getting stuck in the position or giving his back to get up. Um, Davis doesn't wrestle a ton, but when he has, in particular against Giga, he's a decent wrestler and he's got a brown belt in jujitsu. And like, I think standing, it's close. I might even lean Davis just because the experience edge and he's so much bigger than um, Dana is. But I think there is a chance if Davis comes out and grapples that he just wrecks him on the mat here. Like, I really think that is a very, very live outcome. Um, and so, yeah, I actually kind of like Davis inside the distance here. Um, I'm also hoping for a nice subline on Davis because it's one of those things where I don't know if Davis is going to proactively grapple here. But if he does, this is something that could look like a hindsight 40% outcome. I'm not saying it's necessarily that high, but Davis is a much, much better grappler and a much better submission grappler. And so, yeah, I think this line is crazy. And I think there's a ton of reasons he bias baked into it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That third round against how the Tang was just a one-sided beatdown. It seemed like you see his face after he got up at the end of that fight. He got absolutely wrecked on the ground there. So, uh, yeah, hopefully Davis brought his wrestling signal with him from Mississippi and is able to go out there and uh, land some takedowns here against uh, um, Bakril. And I will say this as well. Davis, much better jiu-jitsu than Hali Tang as well. So I think he'll have even more success if he's able to wrap him up and get him into his... Uh, into his realm here so yeah i'm glad that we both like brandon davis in the spot all right let's move on to the next fight we got ludovic klein going up against nate landwehr in terms of odds we're looking at minus 335 for klein and plus 275 for nate landwehr now i think a lot of people are starting to lose a little bit of uh hope in klein because he you know uh stiffed them as a heavy favorite last time around and i think they have a bad taste in their mouth and you know obviously i, I it's happened to us in the past right like when we bet curtis blade at chalk odds against Derek lewis you're expecting to cash that bet and then when it does, it, you're like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to bet this guy again. But you're getting two completely different opponents here in Trezano and Landwehr. Trezano, methodical, disciplined striker, did a really good job in terms of cutting off the cage on Klein and using his strikes to kind of corral him into the positions that he needed to to be effective. Whereas Landwehr, we know he's just going to be chasing him around in circles, being a wild man, trying to throw some combinations and trying to, you know, land the knockout. That always seems to be his fight style. Uh, you know, say what you want about Landwehr. Decent takedown defense, though, right? He, yeah. he does show decent grappling uh, credentials. So if that's the route that Ludovic wants to take in this, he's going to deal with some resistance there. Um, I will also say, sorry, it looks like um, they're about to announce a new fight for Aaron Blanchfield. Sorry, I was just watching this right now. This weekend? Uh, no, but uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Nolan King does this thing on Instagram Live where he'll like go on with the fighter and announce their fight with them. And he just brought on uh, Aaron Blanchfield. So I'll, hopefully I'll have some news for you guys in the next couple of minutes or so once he announced that. But in terms of um, uh, of Klein here, I think he showed decent fight IQ even in that fight with Mike Trezano, you know, going for takedown attempts when he felt the opportune moments were there. But Trezano did such a good job in terms of just dishing out solid damage and controlling most of that fight, especially having that center uh, center of the cage for the majority of the fight. Landwehr might be able to control the, the range of this fight here with his just fucking pressure style that he just moves yeah. forward like a wild man. But Klein, I just expect him to land a punch, a kick at a certain point, and that Landwehr chin is just going to crack, in my opinion. I don't think that durability of Landwehr is up to up to snuff anymore. And the only way I really see uh, Landwehr winning this fight is 
optically speaking. Like if he's able to just stay in his face and land punches and not really take too much damage. But then again, like the damage is going to come. Klein is a vicious striker. He has a ton of power in his strikes, whether it's his kicks or his punches, whatever it may be. I do think he flatlines Landwehr at a certain point in this fight. So my thing is going to be uh, Klein. I've already parlayed him. He's already part of my lock that I play. I think he goes out there and starches Landwehr within the first two rounds. I'd be surprised given the style of Landwehr if he doesn't get knocked down in this fight, especially against a price uh, precis uh, sorry, a precision striker like Ludovic Klein. Not to mention, they got that Sanford MMA thing behind him as well too, right? So, you know, I always like those guys that come out of Sanford. Uh, I'm taking Klein. Klein KO, which I believe was minus 105. Let me just quickly... Yeah, I think you're right. I'm yeah, at minus it, yeah. 105 for Klein. Uh, minus 105 from to win by knockout. Under 2.5, minus 145. Like, I think this is going to be a violent fight. Although, I will be surprised a little bit if Landwehr is able to get uh, Klein out of there. I think Klein is quite durable, and he should be able to take the damage of Landwehr in the spot. So, yeah. Klein, first round KO. How are you feeling about this one, brother? Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty anti-Klein in the UFC so far. I faded him in both of his first two fights with um, both Shane Young and Mike Trezano. Uh, and, like, I wanted to get on board with Nate, but, like, you know, the bottom line is with Nate, you know, what I do like about his game that I think could give Klein problems is the output and the fact that he's always going forward. The problem is, you, you know, you touched on it. It does seem like his chin is going. And, like, him getting hurt isn't really anything new. You know, he was getting rocked fairly consistently when he was fighting over an M1. Um, the problem is now it seems like he's actually getting put out. You know, we've seen it happen with Herbert Burns. We saw it happen against DeRosa very fast. It just seems like he's reacting very poorly to shots these days. And so, like, looking at the dynamic of this fight, it's just like, I do think Landwehr can have, like, if it goes 15 minutes, I think it's going to be relatively sweaty. The problem is really Landwehr doesn't really have any striking defense to speak of, and Klein does hit pretty hard and is a fairly precise striker. You know, my big issues with Klein are fairly volume-based, but, you know, he hits hard. You know, we saw him rock Trezano a couple times too, who is fairly durable. And so ultimately, like, it's tough for me to get on board with Nate just because I don't really think – from a skill perspective, I don't really think he's quite at the UFC level as a striker. I think he has more intangible things than anything else, and even those are starting to crack. And so I do kind of expect Klein to put him out. I also think, you know, if you like Klein here, instead of laying them, you know, the minus 300 on the money line, just hit the KO line, minus 105, play him round one. I, I'd much rather tie those together than that because it's like – like, if you think it's going to go to a decision, <clears throat> you probably don't think Klein is huge value on the minus 300. But, you know, I do think there's a very strong possibility that he's going to finish him very early in this fight. So I like the Klein KO as well. I also like the Klein KO one. I like it. I like it. And it looks like Aaron Blanchfield is stepping in from Montana De La Rosa to take on Macy Barber at the end of the year. So interesting matchup there. I can't wait to break that one down. Yeah. Oh, did you say poor Aaron? <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's just keep this moving along before we divulge into another completely off-topic conversation here. Uh, Sajara Eubanks going up against Lu uh, Luana Carolina. Uh, minus 345 is Sajara Eubanks, plus 285 for Luana Carolina. I swear, every time I look at this line, it continues to go towards Sajara Eubanks. I, I, think I, I think it was our guy, Jonah Schiffman. Uh, shout out to Jiffy, uh, Jay Shiffy MMA or DFS. Um, he said his local bookie drops Jar Eubanks at minus 180, and he just took everything that he could from that, and I completely understand. I would take everything of Jar Eubanks, maybe even up to my minus 400 in the spot, because I think this is going to look pretty similar to a last fight where she was able to ground Elise Reed and pretty much just 
beat the shit out of her uh we saw at least reads the eye pretty much shut up at the end or like or close up at the end of, uh, of that fight once they stopped that fight so you can see the amount of damage that was coming down from eubanks but Goddamn, Poliana Battaglio, non-grappler, getting Luana Carolina into certain spots that if Sajar Eubanks got her into those spots, more than likely uh, she's wrapping up a neck, getting an arm, whatever it may be, she's going to get the finish there. Uh, Luana Carolina, you know, th this is one of those spots where statistics may not tell the whole story, right? She has a 90% takedown defense rate, but like 0-5 in her contender series fight against a girl that was way smaller than her, didn't even deserve to be in that weight class, probably didn't even deserve to be on the contender series. Then we saw um, Priscilla Castro go 0-2 on takedowns in her fight, but those fights, it didn't even look like she was like going for the takedowns, right? There was a, yeah. there was a, a single leg attempt where we saw Carolina kind of defend with the guillotine. I think if she does that to Eubanks, Eubanks is going to be like, sure, try a guillotine. I'm going to take you down and I'm going to get out of this guillotine regardless. So go ahead, try to guillotine me. Use that as your takedown defense. And then the other opportunity for Pessoa to get the knockout or takedown was, I think she kicked out or tripped, tried to trip her, but never even followed up with it. Just let her back to her feet. So, um, uh, there's O of two in there, and then one of four against Poliana Battaglio, where obviously Battaglio gets a takedown in the first round, rides that out entirely, and then uh, isn't unable to get her down in the second and third rounds, whereas I think that Eubanks is probably the best wrestler that she's going to have fought to this point in time. I don't think she'll have much issues in terms of closing the distance and getting the fight to the ground, and Carolina's not this crazy knockout puncher either. Yeah. She's a striker, but like, you know... <laughs> ugh kind of striker right she 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 does good in fights like priscilla cachuera where she's able to maintain her distance fight a zombie stay on the outside throw strikes and, and have that kind of success that's not gonna, what's going to happen here with eubanks eubanks is going to close the distance like she did against elise reed drag this to the to the ground and i think she's going to get a finish you know she's not a historically a finisher but when the skill gap is so wide you got to acknowledge it and i think that it's the same thing here so plus 255 for eubanks inside the distance probably one of my favorite props on the entire card um don't get greedy taking ko or sub because either one could happen in this situation um but plus 255 is i don't think that line's gonna last john honestly i really don't think that's gonna last by fight time it'll probably probably be around plus 120 plus 130 how do you feel about this match i'm sure you're gonna reiterate what i said but late on pretty much i mean i don't think the minus 350 money line is gonna last if i'm being <laughs> honest um, i uh Fandle opened it at about minus 250 and i hammered eubanks there for about three units um yeah, I mean, Pollyanna Battaglio held Luana Carolina down. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about any aspect of this fight. But personally, I think Eubanks is probably minus 200 on the feet as well. If I'm being completely honest, even if they stand in kickbox, which I don't expect she will, but I kind of think she handles her on the feet too. You know, Eubanks is really good. She's probably at 125 now. She's probably top five in that division, if I'm being completely honest. She's up there, man. Like, they're like, would you, Lauren Murphy versus Jar Eubanks? I'd take Eubanks. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, look at the girl she was fighting at 35. She was fighting killers and being competitive consistently with them. That um, Patty Kanzad fight was like crazy. Like those first that second round, it could have gone Eubanks's way if she just the third round made, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if she was funny. fighting women that were closer to her, her size and her weight class, she probably would have been able to control Patty a little bit better there. Close fight with Aspen Ladd as well, you know. Yes. Close fight with um, who's the giant Brazilian? Um, Catlin Vieira. Catlin Vieira. You know, yep. she's you know, Lubex is really good, and you know, on the ground, Pauliana Batelio held down Luana Carolina with no problem. The level between Batelio as a grappler and Eubanks is massive. <laughs> Eubanks is a very good wrestler who's legitimately world class on top. Batelio is whatever 
Um, She's not I, a grappler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, I mean, Ariane Lipsky subbed um, Luana Carlina. But I think Eubanks pretty much, you know, <clears throat> you know me, I'm not really a, a juice boy generally, but, you know, some, you just got to respect that, you know, when there's just a huge gap here. And I think there's a huge gap skill-wise everywhere, but in particular, I think one takedown could be the fight. And I'm pretty sure one takedown, anytime she takes her down, she's not getting up. So, yeah, I love Lou Eubanks in the spot. Um, I love her ITD in the spot as well, plus 250. I'll be interested to see what they open the sub at as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye close on that. But I feel plus 255 is already value enough on her to win inside the distance. But do you, John? Do you? Get greedy. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Danny Roberts going up against Ramazan Amiv. As expected, Chuck on Ramazan Amiv, minus 265. Earlier in the week, he was actually around minus 235, which is actually crazy. But he sits now at minus 265, plus 225 the return on Danny Roberts. And I feel as though, like, that this is an Ami fight pretty much from, from the jump, right? Yeah. Daniel Roberts, I think he is a finished product at this point in time. I don't think we're going to see many improvements from him. He's a good striker, decent hand speed, decent power, but that's really where the buck stops here, right? Um, he's shown some decent things off of his back in the past, but I don't think it's going to be anything that is truly going to cause Amiv trouble. Uh, I think Amiv, you know, the only way he doesn't win this fight is if he doesn't land any takedowns and is okay just staying at striking range with Daniel Roberts. That's really the only way, but like, there are times where Ami fights close to the level of his competition. However, I think with the lack of takedown defense on the Danny Roberts side, I think it's just going to be too easy for Ami to get this fight to the ground, and then he should be able to control it from there. Uh, the the only loss on Ami's record in the UFC coming to Anthony Rocco Martin, where he went 0 of 9 on takedowns and then was just eating leg kicks for the majority of that fight. I'd be surprised if Danny Roberts is able to replicate that type of performance here. So I do like Ami, and uh, I will give him a slight shot to potentially finish this fight. Not been much of a finisher over the last several several years, but if he's not able to finish a guy like Daniel Roberts, I don't think he's finishing anybody, period. So uh, I'm going to take uh, – the official prediction is actually Amiv by decision, which is uh, doo -doo 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 -doo, plus 125, but his subline uh, – subline's already plus 400, yeah. I, I want a little bit more than that, especially from somebody who hasn't really been inclined to actually go out there and find a finish in his fight. So, uh, sub, uh, sorry, decision prop plus 125, not too bad for a guy that you have at minus 265 on the money line here. How do you feel about this matchup, dude? I think this is kind of an interesting one, right? Um, the problem for me, like, I've thought about playing Roberts here. The problem is really, you know, Roberts is just so prone to doing stupid shit. It's, like, unbelievable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, and I bet Silva big there, and I felt not great about it. And then me Roberts just yeah, <laughs> kept letting him, you know, initiate the grappling. And he does, you know, he almost lost the David Zawada fight from the same way because he initiated the grappling for no reason at all. And, you know, we just see that routinely from Roberts. Like, I've always been, I think, higher on Roberts than most because I think he's a pretty good striker. The problem is he's a little fragile on the feet, and he has really, really horrendous fight IQ, um, on top of which he's not the best defensive wrestler. The thing is, I do think he's the much better athlete here, and I think he's a lot faster than Amiv. And so I could see scenarios where Amiv kind of gets stuck on the outside and loses a point fighting fight, fight here just because I don't – you know, watching the Rocco Martin fight with Amiv really, really bugs me. And like, I had bet Amiv there as well, but he just closes distance so slow. And like, Rocco is not a tough guy to take down, but like, he struggled to get him down there. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't feel very good about laying juice on Amiv here, to be honest. Uh, what I actually kind of like, though, is the uh, goes the distance. It's about minus 160. But Amiv traditionally, like, his fights, just because of, like, you know, what he wants to do, which is go forward and wrestle you, but he's very slow in doing it, just tend to be very low-volume affairs. And I kind of think, you know, you touched on it. 
Amiv, not really too threatening from top position. You know, doesn't really throw a lot of ground and pound. Doesn't really look for submissions. It's controlled. That's really yeah. Weird. Yeah. That that's really all he does. And so I, I do think if he's getting the fight to go his way, it's likely a decision. And even on the other side, like Roberts could blast him, but. I do think Amiv seems very, very durable. Like the guy just seems like a tank, you know, I mean, Martin hit him with about 30 leg kicks and his leg was like swelling like the size of a baseball and he just kept coming and eating it. So I just kind of think the style of this fight is going to be whether it's Amiv winning or losing, I think it's going to be a fairly low output fight that, you know, is very, very likely to go to decision. So I do like the goes the distance here. Yeah, that line is actually kind of surprising to me that it's only minus one sixty ish. It is a meme uh, fight. Yeah, he's a minus that's not too favorites. shabby actually. <laughs> that's a damn good prop there. I like that as well. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Here we got Andrew Sanchez going up against Bruno Silva in the prelim headliner. <gasps> uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus one fifty five for Bruno Silva, plus one thirty five for Andrew Sanchez. It seems like the line is starting to balloon up on the Bruno Silva side of things. It was a little bit closer earlier in fight week, but here we are now with him at minus one fifty five. Kind of a binary fight to break down, right? Kind of similar to the Terman fight, right? Where you had striker versus grappler, but I'd say Terman has better jujitsu than what Andrew Sanchez is going to bring to the table. However, you can't implement that jujitsu if you have no wrestling. And I think that the wrestling here from Andrew Sanchez is going to be what gets it done for him. I do think he grounds Bruno Silva. I do think he grinds him out. Uh, that third round obviously clinched my butt cheeks as much as possible because he'll probably, you know, he, his chin isn't the issue. I want to shout out my guy, Uncle Weezy here, who broke this down last night as well. His chin isn't the issue. It's his cardio and his conditioning. If he's able to kind of shore that up or at least kind of nullify the 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 success his opponents have on the striking room by either just pushing them up against the cage or trying to land the takedown in that third round, just like he did against Marc-Andre Barriot. Like, it seemed like it was life and death in that third round for him to gain control there, to not let... Barrio getting your strikes off, that's when he finds success. And I think he can do that here against Bruno Silva, who, in my opinion, doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. And now he's fighting the best wrestler that he's fought, you know, at least in the UFC. It's only been two fights now. But I think that uh, Sanchez will be able to ground this fight. So uh, I like Sanchez by decision. That's probably the best way to go about it. I'd kind of be surprised if he does find a finish here over Bruno Silva. Uh, Sanchez by decision currently sitting around plus 280. But I don't mind that third round hedge on Bruno Silva sitting at plus 1,000. Like that's probably his best way to win this fight. Um, uh, we can't look past his knockout power, right? And his ability to go through the, the meat grinder and still yeah. have the power to put his opponents out uh, in the third and fourth rounds like he did in the Russian scene uh, before coming over to the UFC. But I think that Sanchez's top control is going to be a little bit too much for Silva to deal with in this spot, which is why I'm, I, I like Sanchez as the dog here, and I like that decision prop as well. How do you uh, how do you see this one going down? Well, I bet Wellington Terman big against Bruno Silva, and I pretty much think outside of jiu-jitsu, Sanchez is a better version of Wellington Terman everywhere. So I like Sanchez a lot here. Uh, to be honest, I'm not as concerned about Sanchez's cardio, I don't think, as most people. Like, it's been a long time since he like badly gassed out in a fight. You know, I know the Ryan Janes fight is kind of like the lasting impression everybody has of Andrew Sanchez, but like he had fought a crazy fight with Mark Andre Barrios at a crazy pace, and he won round three in that fight. Uh, you know, I actually thought he was looking. You know, before he got knocked out by Murdov, he was starting to get off on Murdov in round three of that fight uh, before he got finished. Uh, basically, in terms of this fight, look. The meme powers are very strong with Bruno Silva. The guy hits like a truck. He's very, very dangerous. But skill-wise, I don't actually think he's more skilled than Sanchez anywhere. Like, I think Sanchez is going to win minutes on the feet pretty easily until he dies, at least. Um, I think he's a better boxer. I think he's got a better jab. I just think he has a, better, a little bit better control of distance. And, you know, you touched on it with the wrestling. If Sanchez wants 
And this is really my big concern here and why I'm not huge on him is that Sanchez has been a little less proactive wrestling in recent years um, than he was earlier in his career. But I think if Sanchez turned the clock back a year or two, he could probably just grind some, grind Silva out for 15 minutes with pretty much zero issue at all here. You know, Sanchez is an NAIA champion. He's a pretty good wrestler. Silva has zero takedown defense to speak of at all, and I think his bottom game is fairly tragic. And so, yeah, I mean, I like Sanchez a lot here. In terms of, like, how you're going to play it prop-wise, I think if you like Sanchez, play him by decision, right? I don't really think a Sanchez you – know, he, he finishes basically nobody. He finished Terman, but it seems like everybody who beats Terman finishes him these days, so – I don't know what to take out of that. Um, I think Sanchez by decision is a pretty good look here. Uh, and if you like Silva, right? So Sanchez by decision, you're looking at about plus 300, which is – that's actually yeah. insane. I actually didn't even see that till just now. I'm <laughs> kind of shocked at that. Um, I personally think that's about a 50% outcome, so that's fucking crazy. Uh, but if you like Silva, I mean, don't lay the juice with him. Just take him by KO because I yeah. really, really struggle to see Silva winning any kind of consistent minutes here. Yeah. Honest. Yeah, I'm right there, which is why I think you're leaving money on the table if you just don't take Silva by KO, which is his most likely spot to victory in this fight, right? Sanchez will yeah. be winning the minutes. He's going to be letting takedowns. He's going to be getting control time. It's just going to be that come-from-behind type of knockout that I expect from Bruno Silva to win this fight. Do you remember yeah, back in the day? I feel great until I don't feel great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, remember, you remember back in the day post-tough for Andrew Sanchez where it was tough to even bet him at a, yes. a reasonable line? Now he's had a couple gas-out moments or you know finished late in fights, and people are just completely off of him, right? Even the Marvin Vittori fight, he looked nothing like what his yeah. potential made him, made him be, but that's also a credit to uh, Vittori and his uh, improvement. Yeah, and Vittori just fought for a title, right? So it's exactly. like, how much do you, take, do you take out of that? Exactly. All right, let's move along here. And that brings us to our main card, which is another opportunity to for me to remind the 75 live viewers that we currently have in the chat. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then show my guy John some love as well with his podcast, which is the Club and Sub Podcast, Wednesday nights, tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern, every weekend or every week or every fight week, I should say, with him, uh, Legs, and uh, uh, Luke from Sparring with Reality, uh, and sometimes C as well. So make sure you guys go check that out. Link to their channel is in the description below. All right, let's move along to the main card here. We got Julian Marquez going up against Jordan Wright, probably the best battle of nicknames, the Cuban Missile Crisis against the Beverly Hills Ninja. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 245 for Julian Marquez and plus 205 for Jordan Wright. Um, Another kind of easy fight to break down here, right? Jordan Wright, you know, usually a meme, but the guy, explosive, powerful, uh, you know, can close distance pretty well and has a ton of power in his hands to put uh, his opponent's lights out. I don't completely understand what Jamie Pickett was thinking in that fight, going for a desperation takedown and then just getting elbowed to oblivion, which ultimately led to the finish there for Jordan Wright. Um, but if he approached that with a different game plan, he probably could have knocked out Jordan Wright as well, who, you know, shout out to my guy Clint last night, calling him the biggest glass cannon inside the UFC because the guy can go out there and crack but if he gets cracked in return, he's more than likely going to shatter. And I think that's what's going to happen here with the Julian Marquez fight. Marquez, not the greatest technical or you know most skilled fighter out there. But one thing you can kind of rely on him for is durability and power. And that's pretty much all you're going to need, in my opinion, to go out there and beat a guy like Jordan Wright. So, in you know, Jordan Wright, obviously, by, uh, sorry, um, Julian Marquez by KO, obviously currently sitting at plus 470, or sorry, uh, plus 250. Great line, in my opinion. But the one that I was kind of uh, intrigued by, but they still haven't released those odds yet, fight won't start round two because I'm expecting absolute chaos in this fight. I feel as though Marquez is going to be confident enough in his durability to just bite down on his mouthpiece, move forward, find that chin of Jordan Wright. But 
Fight Not Start Round 2 also covers the possibility that Jordan Wright finishes Julian Marquez for the first time in Marquez's career because I do think that Wright has that type of knockout power. Um, Anthony Hardock trained. I always want to shout out Anthony Hardock whenever we talk about Jordan Wright, but uh, it's tough for me to see Jordan Wright actually knocking him out. With that said, Jordan Wright by knockout plus 475, Marquez by KO plus 250 if you want to get cute with it. Wow. Uh, So the Marquez subline is actually worse than the KO line, which I find interesting. Plus 225 for Marquez by submission, plus 250 for him to win by KO. I'm going to go, go with the KO side. I don't think this fight makes it past the fifth minute, to be honest. Am I crazy, John? Am I getting a little bit too crazy, uh, you know, hating on I, the Jordan Wright type of thing? Or I, I really struggle to read this fight, to be completely honest with you. Um, I'm very anti-Marquez. I faded him in each of his last two fights, and God did the Mackey fight really sting, losing that bet. Um, but, yeah, I, I just don't think... You know, Marquez, more than anything else, is this kind of like raw physicality. You know, he hits reasonably hard. He attempts a lot of guillotines. But I don't think he's a good grappler. I mean, we saw Patolo basically grapple fuck him for 12 minutes before he gassed yeah. out. Um, I don't think he's a very good striker, to be, to be honest with you. You know, he's very easy to hit. Uh, he can go through spouts of inactivity, you know, on the feet there. But, you know, it is kind of like you said. You know, you have a glass cannon in Jordan Wright against – a guy who's kind of just a cannon, right? <laughs> who's just going to forward and try to finish you. Um, I, I do think you could make a reasonable argument for Wright being value just because I, I don't know that Wright's any less skilled than Marquez is. He might even be more skilled than Marquez is. Um, but you know, even Jordan Wright, I have a hard time getting a read on because, like, you look at his fights, you know, he gets KO'd on the ultimate or on contenders, comes in, fights like Villanueva, Villanueva cut stoppage a minute into the fight. Next fight, he fights Buckley, gets KO'd basically at the end of the round after looking okay for about a round, and then gets KO'd again at the start of the second round. Um, And then last fight comes out there, and, you know, he finishes picket like that. And so there's really the sample size on right against good competition is so, so small here. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I just – I kind of think the physicality difference for Marquez is probably going to make the difference. I could never bet Julian Marquez as a minus 200 favorite. I think that's kind of mad. But, you know, yeah, again, I guess the way that I would – I can't – fight doesn't go the distance is minus 300. Like, I don't want to lay that either, you know. Um, I guess, you know, if you were to put a gun to my head and say pick a prop here, I'd say there's two that I like. Maybe the under minus 125, the under one and a half. The other one that I think is a bit sneaky, just given what we saw of Marquez's grappling against Patolo, is maybe taking a shot at right sub plus 1100. You know, he did sub some guys in Alaska. Now, Alaska FC, so big whoop, right? But we know Marquez can get grappled by bad grapplers. So, I don't know. I think it's an interesting poke if you wanted to, like, really gamble. Yeah, I'd be surprised if any grappling takes place in this fight to yeah. begin with. If anything, I think it would be Jordan Wright maybe shooting for a takedown after he starts eating some shots from Marquez. But I think by that time, he's probably going to be staring up at the cam- or at the lights here. Could you see this? I mean, could it go the distance? Like, now that I'm more than I'd be, it in my head. I'd be stunned. But then again, Tiago it- Santos, Johnny Walker, distance, 25 minutes. We've like, seen like Julian Marquez go through like the fight with Alessio De Chirico, He basically didn't let his hands go the entire fight, yeah. right? You know, we've seen it happen before, and so like I'm kind of wondering like I don't think Wright's going to force a lot of big exchanges. It's either going to be a Marquez to force him or not. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I'd be surprised if Marquez doesn't trust his durability and his knockout power, and he should go out there and just let it sling. 
Like I'd be I'd be mystified if he's gun shy in this fight. But again, Wright does crack, man. Say what you want about Wright, but he can crack. Yeah. So we'll see how much belief Marquez has in himself and his durability this weekend. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. We got Manol Fioro going up against Myra Bueno Silva. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 230 for Fioro and plus 190 the return on Bueno Silva. Now, John, I think this was a fight that I talked to you about ever so briefly. And thought that I was going to be pulling the trigger on Silva, but after running the tape, man, I, I just can't do it. Like when when you, I, I don't bank on statistics too heavily, but the fact that she has a grand total of zero takedowns yeah. <laughs> or even takedown attempts is just too much for me to to overlook. Right? It doesn't seem like she has any desire to drag fights to the ground. She goes out there, she uses her striking, good leg kicks, decent combinations on the feet, but the majority of her submission wins are with her getting taken down and then pulling it off an arm bar off for her back or something like that, which is obviously live, but I'd be surprised if we see Fiorel go out there and try to test her grappling by taking uh, Bueno Silva to the ground in this fight. I know we haven't seen the grappling tested for a Fiorel in the UFC, but there are instances on the regional scene that you can see, you know, her get up game and, you know, her improving grappling. Uh, but I don't know if you want to go out there and test it against a dangerous person like Bueno Silva. I do think the line is a little bit wide, which is why I'm not even parlaying uh, Fiorel or even taking the shot on Bueno Silva in this spot because I just have that. I have that that question mark whether she's even going to attack the grappling or not. We talked about it earlier with the Ariane Carnelosi fight and the Estela Nunes fight, where I just want to sit back and watch this fight because this for me is a test in terms of seeing where Fiorel is truly at. And I really hope, as a fan and as a, or actually not even as a fan, as a gambler, that we get to see Fiorel challenged in that grappling realm. Because if she comes out and passes it with flying colors, then I'll have a little bit more confidence in terms of backing her in the future or even you know potential parlay piece, whatever the fuck. But in this spot. Best opponent she's fought to this point, you know, somebody that's actually in her weight class, somebody that actually has some decent jujitsu, somebody that can actually compete with her in the striking realm. I do give the advantage to Firo here, but uh, I think we'll see uh, Firo pushed here and possibly not look like a minus 230 favorite. But uh, say what you want about Bueno Silva. I think she's durable. I think she'll be able to handle the striking of Firo here. And I think we'll see this fight go the full 15 minutes. So the over two and a half is minus 120, which, you know, for women's MMA, not often do you see it at that line. Uh, I think that's a decent spot. And then ultimately, I'll be going with Firo by decision, which is plus 205. How do you see this one going down? And did you ultimately side with Silva? Like, I, I remember we talked about this and we we're both kind of keen on her, but we hadn't run the tape at the time. I mean, I'm pretty fucking annoyed because I had a bet on Silva at plus 230 last time it was booked. And now she's at like plus 185 right now. Um, I'm still interested, to be honest, because kind of like you said, it's a big test for Fiora. And I, I've found some of the best spots you're ever going to see. You're taking some, fading someone like Fioro after they beat. Victoria Leonardo and Tabitha Ricci, who is a weight class too small for her, and then fading them against a real fighter. Um, and I still kind of feel that way. Like I, My view is Victoria Leonardo belongs nowhere near the UFC. Uh, Tabitha Ricci had four career fights or five career fights going into that fight. It is way too small for her. And so I don't think we've learned a whole lot from Madden Fioro and what she is. You know, her striking looks good, but what you're going to get in Myra Buenosova is an absolute zombie who is uber durable, is going to walk forward, and is willing to tank all the damage she can to get inside and throw. I do think Fioro is more technical, but how is she going to handle leg kicks from Silva? We don't know. How is she going to handle the big shots that Silva's going to throw in the pocket? She's going to be dealing with a lot more power than she's faced anybody in her entire career here. I, I agree with you. I don't really think Silva is particularly likely to test her in the grappling. I, I actually think 
to be honest, my fear on the Silva side is actually more Fiora top controlling her because I really don't like what I've seen from Silva when she's gotten put on bottom in the past. But I, yeah, I think the line's a little wide, to be honest. I'm hoping money comes back in on Fioro and I can get Silva at that number again. I might just take the shot anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, Victoria Leonardo stunned her briefly in the first round of their fight. Um, Myra Buenasova is a different animal completely. Look, she is very hittable and she's very easy to win minutes against if you know what you're doing. But eventually her pressure breaks you down. Like you saw Marina Moroz, who's an excellent striker, yeah. basically eventually almost lose in the third round of that fight because, you know, she just was getting, you know, taking too much attritional damage. And so I think Silva's a pretty good fighter to bat to fade Fiora with and just kind of fade the step up in competition. Like I had bet Moroz against Fiora fairly big. Um, and I'm pretty happy to do the same here in terms of props. Something I really like if you can get it, uh, the no scorecards here is plus 250 on Buena Silva. And I know it's tempting because Spiro finished Victoria Leonardo and she finished Tabitha Ricci to, you know, think she's going to finish Silva, but we have never seen Silva really almost get finished. You know, that girl has taken a ton of damage and just keeps coming. I actually think it's far more likely if one of them is going to break, it's going to be Fioro and not Silva here. Uh, and then in terms of other props there, beyond that, uh, I actually kind of like the over. So, like, no scorecards, you get your money back if it goes to a decision. But I don't think Fioro is going to finish her. And if she's having the success that most people seem to think she's going to have in this fight, I think she wins by decision. And at even money in a women's fight where with the – big underdog is an uber durable zombie um i think i'm kind of willing to you know roll with the over in this fight i will say plus 1100 bueno silver by sub has definitely piqued my interest as you know again if we if Fioro's grappling is not up to snuff here i think bueno silver will be able to snatch something up yeah it's interesting all right let's move on to the next fight here we got jim miller taking on another uh newcomer <laughs> minus 225 for jim miller plus 185 for eric gonzalez i don't know what jim miller is doing at this point in his career but you know he seems to welcome these newcomers all the time now here he is against a guy coming from combate who's fought the likes of humberto bandanai and rafa garcia coming up short in both of those fights be a decision but I'm not sure what you were able to kind of uncover on, on Eric Gonzalez, but I wasn't really impressed. Very wild striking style. Uh, puts himself in bad positions at times. Takedown defense, not the greatest. Um, but again, his wild style could play into the hand of Jim Miller, especially early in this fight with, you know, Miller maybe just going out there looking to bull rush him, take him to the ground and work that jujitsu on him. And I don't think it will be that difficult for him to submit a guy like Eric Gonzalez. Fun fact about Eric Gonzalez, he was actually scheduled to fight somebody up here in uh, in Canada, up in my neck of the woods in Toronto uh, in at the end of November. And it was likely that whoever won that fight was going to get a ticket either to the Contender Series or next year or straight to the UFC. But luckily for Eric Gonzalez, he gets a call up early here. And uh, unfortunately for him, though, not a, not a good matchup for him. If he can survive the first seven and a half minutes, though, it could get interesting. The one line that did catch my eye was the under two and a half at plus 150. Uh, I think Jim Miller, you know, a lot of his success is going to be in that first seven and a half minutes. And I think that a, a finish could more than likely transpire in those minutes. But the longer that this fight goes, that wild striking style of uh, Gonzalez could possibly help him out to find that chin of Jim Miller, put him down and possibly find a finish of his own. I like Jim Miller, though, but I'm not advising anybody to be you know, playing him at minus 210 at this point in his career, even if it's against a UFC newcomer who, in my opinion, probably doesn't deserve to be in the UFC. Uh, but I like, uh, in terms of props, that's what we're here for. Uh, Jim Miller by sub, plus 275. Jim Miller in round one, uh, plus 450. 
would have mind some some shots there. Uh, and again, the under two and a half plus one fifty kind of piques my interest as well. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to um, Jonah this week actually about this fight, and he goes to me. He goes, "Jim Miller's minus two hundred, and the under under and a half, under two and a half is plus one fifty. One of these things can't be true." And it's like that's true, right? Because like I agree with everything he said. I think Miller has a massive skill advantage here, but like if Jim Miller is actually minus two hundred in this fight, he had. I mean. We've seen it now. Jim Miller, since he got Lyme disease, doesn't have really gas past seven and a half minutes here. You know, that's it, it, just the reality of the situation. And, you know, so much of his win equity is going to be tied directly to an early finish in this fight. And, I mean, could he win a decision? I guess he could win the first round and then do enough to win the second round and hold on. But, like, I don't really want to have my money tied to a Jim Miller minus 230. Like, if you got in, like, Miller minus 150 or something, like, I can't blame you for that because I do think he's more than 60% in this spot. Um, the guy's a legend, and Eric Gonzalez hasn't really shown much to suggest he's ready for the UFC. But, yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. Like, if you want to play Miller here, you know, the way to play it, play him round one, play him round two. Round one's plus 450 right now. You know, he wins, what is his four of his last five wins, something that have come in the first round. You know, that's generally the way Jim Miller wins fights at this stage. Um, so, yeah, I'm seeing Miller round one plus 450, Miller round two plus 700. I'd much rather be on those spots than be on, you know, Miller at, you know, 70% implied on the money line. To be honest, I'd probably say Miller round one is probably closer to like 35%. So I think there's a lot of meat on that bone. Uh, so I like Miller round one a lot. I think he's going to cruise in this fight. But, yeah, don't play the money line. And to be honest – it might be worth it to just keep a close eye on the live line because it's possible you'll get Gonzalez plus five, plus 600, you know, halfway through the second round here, and you might get a real tipping point there. Yeah, that's a great point for sure. And in terms of the, the actual statistic here for Jim Miller, his last four wins all first round. Last time he's won a fight outside of the first round was 2016, where he decisioned Tiago Alves, who somehow made 155 pounds that night. <laughs> no, he did not make 155 pounds that night. It looks like... Uh, <laughs> There's a 163 catch rate. Remember when Tiago Alves tried going down to 155? Remember that good, failed experiment? It's a good thing it didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Tiago Alves weighed 162, and then quickly he's like, fuck that, I'm going back to 170. <laughs> so there we go. All right, co-main event time. I can't believe I'm saying this, but we got Andre Arlovsky going up against Carlos Philippe as the second-last fight of the night. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 105 for Arlovsky, minus 115 for Philippe. So let's just call this fight a pick'em. I'm not picking a side in this fight. You know, I mean, I, I I am leaning Arlovsky. I would say that, but I feel like this is just going to be a sparring match for 15 minutes. We haven't seen Arlovsky in massive trouble in terms of getting knocked out, other than when he fought Jazinho Rosenstrike and then Carlos Felipe. You know, doing what he did on the regional scene against regional scene guys is great and all, but we've seen that once he comes to the UFC, that his finishing capabilities are not there at all. You know, what I mean. Uh, you could make a case that he could be winless in the UFC at this point, right? Like his his loss to, uh, or sorry, his win against Justin Taffa. Very controversial. I thought Taffa won that fight. The win against uh, Jay Collier. Okay, he deserved to win that, but that third round was damn close and it came down to that third round in my opinion. Um, this fight against Andre Olovsky, it's going to be who's going to be able to throw up more strikes than the other, right? I think we'll see a Bull of Matador type of thing here with Carlos Philippe kind of just pushing the fight, but I think that we'll see decent enough striking from Arlovsky on the flip side 
to have success and pick him apart from the outside. Um, at 42 years old, you know, not really a spot that you want to be backing guys at, but Arlovsky is one of those vets, especially at heavyweight, that you can get away with and f- still find wins, just as we've seen over his last couple fights, right? He's springing victories over Philippe Linz, over Tanner Bozer, over Chase Sherman. Now you have a guy in Carlos Philippe who I kind of lump into the Chase Sherman type of uh, uh, of fighters, and I feel like this is a solid spot for him to go out there and do that. But then, again, this is going to be a close fight. I think it's going to be a coin flip once we, uh, once we actually get to the judges' scorecards, and it's going to come down to who threw more, in my opinion. Uh, the spot that I like, I know it's a little bit chalky, but if I'm betting this fight at all, over two and a half, I know it's around minus 200, but I do expect this fight to go the full 15 minutes. I don't see the knockout power on Carlos Philippe transferring over to the UFC. And then on the Audrey Arlovsky side, it seems like he doesn't want to finish his opponents, right? Like, it just seems like he's throwing strikes out there to throw strikes out there to potentially win a judge's decision. So I don't see much finishing upside from either guy here. I think the stories of Audrey Arlovsky being, you know, super chinny, we can start to look past that. You know, I mean, I think that part of his career is completely gone. And now he's not fighting a heavy puncher in Carlos Philippe either. So I like uh, Arlovsky. Arlovsky by decision. Uh, over two and a half is the prop that I like the most. Uh, and then, sorry, Arlovsky by decision is currently sitting at plus 160. Fight starts round three, minus 225. Gets a little bit safer in case Philippe decides to go ape shit in round three. But uh, yeah, I, I think this goes the full 15. How are you feeling about this one? Uh, yeah, I think Arlovsky's going to handle him pretty easily, to be honest. Um, if I So I guess my view here is if you actually look at where Philippe's had success in the fights that he's won, it's in one particular spot, and it's in the pocket and when people have let his hands go. You look at the early portion of the Collier fight when Collier had gas, and Collier's moving around the outside and basically touching him at will, and Felipe just – he doesn't have an ability to kind of cut the cage and basically force you into his range. He ba- And you see him, you know, kind of talking to Collier, trying to like dare him to come into the pocket. Once Collier starts slowing down in round two, you know, suddenly Felipe starts getting off. Same thing happens in the DeCastro fight. DeCastro doesn't really have an outside game though. And so Felipe gets almost all of his success done in the pocket. Uh, we saw against <coughs> Sergey Spivak, who isn't much of a striker. Spivak, just by kind of just staying out of his range and playing the outside game, was able to easily outwork him. Um, to me, this looks a lot like the Philippe Linz fight to me, the Felipe, or the uh, Philippe Linz fight, yeah. And, you know, in that fight, what is Arlovsky going to do? Who does Arlovsky actually come and brawl with? Nobody. He's going to play the outside game. He's going to hang on the outside, throw low kicks, throw jabs, blitz in and out. And those are the guys who have given Philippe trouble throughout his entire career so far. Um, unless Arlovsky suddenly changes the style that we've seen him use for the last five years, I don't really see what changes here. Like, yeah, he could get caught and knocked out, but I think it's going to be very, very hard for Philippe to kind of get the fight to be into his preferred range. He's the smaller guy here. He has a three-inch reach disadvantage. Uh, he's the less experienced guy by a mile. Uh, you know, you look at the guys he's beating, none of his wins except for Collier really have aged particularly well. And even the Collier win, you can make a pretty good argument he lost that fight, to be honest with you. Um, I just kind of think – Unless it all goes for Arlovsky at once, which at 42 is possible, you know, it could happen. But, you know, he's been fighting. He's been very active. So unless it all goes at once, I think he has a very comfortable advantage striking here. I think he's going to be able to play the outside game, jab Philippe up pretty much at will, throw leg kicks and just kind of stay out of range. You know, pretty much what he's done to pretty much everybody he beats, Tanner Bozer, Chase Sherman, you know, a lot of guys who I would play over Philippe in a second, to be honest. Maybe not Chase Sherman, I'd play over Philippe in a second, but Tanner Bozer, I think, would take care of Philippe without any issue at all. Um, I think Arlovsky should be closer to about, you know, 65% here. Uh, In terms of props, 
I kind of think decision is the way to play this fight. I think it's about probably about a 50% outcome for Arlovsky decision. And so you're getting plus 150, plus 160. You're getting like a solid, I think, 10 to 15% there. So I like that a lot here. And I like Arlovsky a lot too on the money line. Fight goes to decision minus 155 as well. So, or sorry, that's, uh, I was looking at the wrong fight there. Fight goes to decision minus 170. So slightly less chalk than the over two and a half. But again, I, I do see it going 15. Glad you see it that way too. And yeah. I do like your breakdown of this fight. Hopefully Arlovsky is able to, you know, stick with what he's been doing and implement it from a distance here. All right, main event time. And another opportunity to remind you guys, the 86 of you guys that are in the chat here, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and show my guy John some love by hitting his channel as well, which is linked in the description below the Club and Sub Podcast every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. So see them tomorrow night. All right, main event time. We got Aspen Lad minus 135 going up against Norma Dumont plus 115. Um, I feel like we're gonna have some conflicting views on this fight. Um, but I'm not the, the the strongest on the on the Dumont side either here. So yeah, I am picking Dumont here. Um, I do think that her size could be some issues here for Aspen Lad, obviously having to cut weight twice in two weeks now, going up to 145 pounds for the first time. And Norma Dumont, in my opinion, is a legitimate 145er. She is even having issues making 135 pounds herself which is kind of rendering her in the 145 pound division which is barely even alive at this point in time but uh very thick girl obviously that's something that we can all agree on here and i think that the 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 vast majority of lads takedowns here are usually predicated on body lock takedowns which are you know we kind of know this you kind of use more muscle and strength to kind of complete those types of takedowns and i think she's going to struggle here to kind of move dumont in the into the spots that he wants that she wants and then when we're talking about striking here not really a big fan of loud striking game. It looks like like it looks so flimsy and 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 like falsely fabricated. Like it just doesn't look good to me at all. I think Dumont will likely have the the striking advantage there, uh, especially with the efficiency and the power that she's going to be able to land at. Um, if Dumont can keep this fight upright for 25 minutes which is a big if because we've never seen that in the past she should be able to do solid work and actually take home a decision victory by uh by by piecing her up on the feet aspen lad could get some volume could get some activity off but i do think that the judges will see the more impactful shots coming from the dumont side of things dumont decent jujitsu a black round actually i believe she has uh we've seen some tape on her you know in the jujitsu room she's shown some decent things there but like it is a little bit of a concern in that fight in that felicia spencer fight where we saw almost nothing in that last minute where she ended up on her back however the way she ended up there was a botched takedown attempt of her own that ended up with her on her back and we saw felicia spencer just grind out the last minute of that fight now i'm not sure if there was norma dumont thinking okay you know i won the first two rounds let me just you know not do anything too hastily here that could potentially open up a finish for felicia spencer which is why i'm going to stay on my back but again you can't just assume that you just you got to take it for what it is. And she couldn't get back to her feet. She couldn't do much off of her back to begin with. So if Vlad does get on top, she could have a good amount of success. But I'm curious to see, you know, if Dumont ends up on top, what is it going to look like? Is she going to have massive success in terms of keeping her on the ground as well? Um, ultimately, I still end up on the side of Dumont. I do think she stops takedowns at a good enough clip to keep this fight in the striking realm. And then in the striking realm, I lean Dumont, landing good enough damage. And uh, last thing I'll say about her, I like her fight IQ and ring IQ in the aspect that, especially in the in the Felicia Spencer fight, where anytime she got backed up to the warning track, she throws a combination, pivots off, and then gets back to the center of the cage. Like, she's very aware in terms of keeping her back off the cage. So I think that's going to be very important for her, especially in this fight against uh, a girl like Aspen Ladd, who makes no bones about it. She wants to drag the fight to the ground. Uh, I don't think she will be able to. I like Dumont. I'm going to take her by decision as well. Uh, if she finishes Ladd, 
possibly comes by strikes. I, I just don't see that happening, honestly. I think that lad is quite durable. Outside of that, obviously, Jermaine Duranamy knockout. But does Dumont hit like Jermaine Duranamy? Probably not. <laughs> I like Dumont. Uh, Dumont decision, which is currently plus 230. But I have so many question marks just because she's never gone five before. John, I, I'm pretty certain you're on the other side here, so please make your case. Yeah, a bit of a different take. So I played the lad money line at minus 120. I don't think I would play it like minus 150 or pass there, to be honest. But I guess my view is so, like, I've seen it's hard to find. Um, and I found it last time, Dumont fought, but I've seen the Mariana Marias fight. And, you know, when Dumont ended up on her back in that fight, it looked pretty bad. And then we saw her end up on her back, you know, at the end of the Felicia Spencer fight. And again, it didn't look good. She got held down for the last two minutes of that fight. Um, and so I don't want to simplify it and say, oh, Lad hits takedowns, fight's over, because I don't think it's going to be easy for her to get takedowns early in this fight. Uh, you know, early in this fight, I think Dumont could cause her real issues, especially if Lad can't keep the fight in the clinch. Uh, Dumont does hit hard, and she tends to throw everything with 100%. So I kind of think Dumont just flatlining Lad early in the fight is live. For me, though, and you kind of touched on it here, it's like how, what percentage can I line the odds of Dumont putting her out early? I can't get past like 25 or 30% in the WMMA fight, you know? Um, and I kind of think, and this is, so, some of this is conjecture on my part, to be honest, but, you know, Dumont, I thought she was slowing down at the end of the Spencer fight. And the way that she throws everything into it, I really don't think she's going to be able to do that for more than, you know, eight to 10 minutes, especially because, we know Lad's not going to sit there a distance with her. She's going to try to grind her. And so clinch work is extremely exhausting. And so we have a fight that's probably going to be fought at an exhausting pace. And I think I trust Lad's cardio a lot more. And while I'm not sure Lad can hit takedowns early in this fight, I do think if Dumont can't get her out of there, they're going to eventually start coming. And once they come, I mean, look, I just gushed about how good Sajara Eubanks grappling is. Aspen Ladd outgrappled her on the mat. You know, yeah. basically no one does that. And I think once they come, you know, Ladd puts her down. I honestly think it's going to be around and could be the fight. And so I just kind of think they're going to come. and Eventually, you get to the third round, they're going to start coming, and she's going to take over this fight. Uh, so, yeah, I like Ladd here. Like I said, I actually cap her around minus 150, and so I wouldn't play it at that line. I took it on an early line. In terms of props – I'm going to save it for the third week in a row in a main event, and we'll see. I have to be right eventually, right? I think, but I think playing the under is the way to go again. <laughs> uh, we got the under at a plus number at plus 125. Uh, I think Lad. I mean, if Lad can't hit takedowns here, I do think she gets finished. Like you nailed it. Lad's distance striking; she's there to get hit in the face a lot. And I do kind of think if she gets punched on the chin enough times by Dumont, who hits pretty hard, there's a strong chance she's getting finished. And conversely, I think if Lad's having the success that she needs to win this fight, which is going to be landing takedowns. Like, if you tell me Lad doesn't land a takedown, I'm pretty sure she's losing this fight. Um, I think if she has that success, at some point, Lad's going to be able to find a finish here. So I kind of think the finish should be about minus 150, uh, the under. Instead, it's about plus 125. So I think that's a pretty good look here. But yeah, I mean, Lad's my pick. I, I'll, I'll say Lad finishes her in the third round. All right, all right. I like it. I like when we are conflicting on certain <laughs> spots here. I, I will say, though, the lack of evidence that we have for Dumont going hard for five rounds is what concerns she's me. She's a big not girl, man. Not. Yeah, she's a big girl, exactly. But I do think that that striking advantage should pay off her here. If her cardio holds up, hopefully that works. And last thing we'll say about this actual matchup is Dumont was the one preparing for five rounds here yeah, for the past several weeks. And Lad, you know. Has Lad 20... gone five? 
She was scheduled for five against uh, Durandamy. Yeah. That lasted five seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, no, very interesting to see. Also, uh, Dumont, uh, I believe now second camp, she's going to be spending over there at Syndicate MMA as well. So finally expanding her wings and, and getting better training partners as well. I so hope they both fun. miss weight. Oh my god. <laughs> Could you imagine, dude? Could you fucking imagine? I would say it's live, right? Come on. 145? <laughs> no way. No way, dog. Don't even put that out there, dog. All right. Let's move on to the uh the three best bets. Uh so unfortunately, we do not have Cody's three best bets as it is earlier in the weekend. He was not able to send it on over to me. So you guys are just gonna have to stick with what me and John are saying here. But as I like to do on the on the propping you up show, I do like to announce who I'm going to be having on for this weekend's Ultimate Wayne show. We got my guy Tajik Bay making Ooh. his appearance and uh, uh, making his debut appearance on my channel. Here, uh, love that he's finally getting out there and transformed from a troll to somebody who actually knows what he's fucking talking about to finally showing his face and actually talking about it on podcast. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for that guy. You've seen him before, yeah, John. I've, I've never I've seen him comment. I've never seen him in person. Oh, you've never, no, you've never seen him in person. He's been on a couple of people's podcasts because I think he made a Twitter account and then just started messaging all the content creators. And be like, yo, I'm finally down to talk fights. If you guys want to have me on, have me on. And I think some guys have had him, but he looks like a like a Russian spy. Like his room is all white. He's bald. Has a little goatee. Wears a black turtleneck. Like he looks like a fucking. Murder. I'm excited. That that yeah. that I, I am jacked up now. That's awesome. Yeah, no, he's he's a solid dude. So I'm very much looking forward to having him on. So that'll be 9 p.m. Eastern this Friday. So make sure you guys tune in. We'll give you guys our last look at the car this weekend, especially with all these uh fighters finally and hopefully making weight Friday morning. All right. Uh let's move on to the three best bets, and I'll kick things off as I always do. As soon as my there we go. First and foremost, Eubanks inside the distance, plus 255. I told you guys that was my favorite pop on the card. That's the one I'm more than likely going to be going in on here. I think there's a massive skill difference between Carolina and Eubanks, and I think we're going to see it pretty quickly as well. I wouldn't even be surprised if it comes in round one. With that said, let me just take a quick peek at what uh, Eubanks in round one looks like because I feel like that might be a tasty number here. Uh, oh, yeah, they don't have it out yet. Bullshit. Um <laughs> Yeah, they, they still haven't dropped it. God damn it. All right. Um, next up, I have... Where is it at? Klein via KO, minus 105. That's probably his best win condition in this fight. We obviously Nate, uh, know Nate the train land where it has a tremendous durability issues at this point in time in his career. And I think that we'll see Klein take full advantage of that. He may not look like he's going to be winning the fight with Landwehr more than likely kind of moving forward here. But I think Landwehr ultimately ends up finding himself looking up the lights here and Klein's going to be uh, victorious with the knockout. So I do like Ludovic Klein. And lastly, Julie Marquez via KO plus 250. I like that line here. I really do. I don't think that Jordan Wright will be able to take the power of Marquez. And again, Marquez never been finished, never been knocked down inside the UFC either, uh, never been stopped via punches, I should say. Um, and I think that he should be able to go out there, eat the shots of Jordan Wright, and then eventually put him out as well. And at plus 250, I think that's a little bit generous, especially considering that he's uh, you know minus 220, minus 230 favorite, and that's likely his best way to win this fight, as is anybody's uh chance and whenever they fight jordan right you're more than likely gonna knock this guy out if you're gonna win the fight at all uh john let's move on over to you brother 
Yeah. So first up, we got Lad Dumont. Fight does not go to decision, plus 115. I just laid this out, but pretty much I kind of think if Lad does what she needs to do to win, which I think she will, eventually she's going to hit takedowns, get to dominant position, and finish the fight. And conversely, I think if she cannot get the fight there, it's only a matter of time, you know, with her striking defense being as porous as it is till she gets knocked out. So I really like that at an under 50% implied. Next up, I also have Eubanks ITD, guys. Throw it all on her. Eubanks round one, Eubanks sub, Eubanks, <laughs> Eubanks ITD. I am telling you, I don't think Luana Carolina is much better of a defensive grappler than Elise Reed is. She got subbed by Ariane Lipsky. She got held down by Pollyanna Battaglia. Eubanks is in another class. She is going to get her down, and she's going to get dominant positions early. I think she's going to smash Carolina. And then last up, Arlovsky via decision. I just think he's in a different class than any of the guys Felipe's been fighting. We saw a lot of the issues that Felipe's going to face here against Collier. The difference is Arlovsky's been around the block and has fought much better competition than Jake Collier. He's not going to slow down. He's going to play the outside game. He's going to jab. He's going to kick. And he's going to avoid the big exchanges Felipe needs to win this fight. Arlovsky now hasn't finished anybody in years. I think decision's about a 50% outcome. And right now you're getting about 35% implied on it. There you go. The six best props from me and uh and john obviously we can't get cody's because he was not able to submit it for us but there you guys go uh next week birthday week for your boy turning dirty 30 Woo! so we're gonna have some fun throughout that week very much looking forward to it we will be back to regularly scheduled programming me and john will be back thursday evening 8 p.m eastern for you guys friday is actually my birthday and uh i might as well announce it now i'm gonna have luke from uh, Club and Sub Podcast on the Friday podcast with nice. me doing the Ultimate Wayne Show, and I'll more than likely be getting crunk all week. So uh, <laughs> if you guys hear me slurring my words and saying some bullshit, you guys will know exactly why. I might have to wear one of those like birthday hat things the whole week as well, just to be a, a fucking dumbass. But uh, yeah, John, uh, appreciate you doing the show as always. Uh, anything you want to say on the back end here, then I can wrap it, wrap it up. Yeah, just check out the show tomorrow night. I won't be on. It's going to be Luke and C. Also, guys, Locke's not going to like this. Bet Catherine Paparocki tonight. Massive value. <laughs> I, am telling you. I do have a small shot on uh, <laughs> Silva and Boudet parlay. One and a half units at minus 124. And I know John, the dog hunter that he is, had to pull the shot on uh, Paparaki. What would you get her at? Plus 330, plus I think? 330, yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't argue with those odds. I'll, I'll say that for sure. All right. Um, yeah. Good luck to everybody on the Contender Series tonight, which kicks off in less than two hours. And good luck on your bets this weekend. I will see you guys on Friday once again for the Ultimate Lane Show with me and Tajik Bay. Until then, war Sajara Eubanks. I never thought I'd be saying that, but war, war Eubanks. Sajara Eubanks. Let's go.